want to invite everybody to please stand and open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to read the whole chapter. And once you look at it, you'll see why it's not too long. 1 Peter chapter 5, for those who are visiting us for the first time, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter, and today is our last Sunday in 1 Peter, and this is God's word for his people. Verse 1, I exhort you, the elders, among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Through Silvanus, a faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you your greetings, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this incredible day. And Father, you are holy. There is none like you. Father, your love is so deep that we can never, ever, 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 ever dig to the very bottom of it. It is unsearchable, and yet it is knowable through Christ. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you be our teacher now. Speak to us, teach us, bring encouragement, bring strength, bring comfort, bring healing, bring transformation. Lord Jesus, so that everyone here today would know your great love that you have for us, Father, that you, Christ, would be deeply rooted in our hearts, that we would be able to grasp how long, how wide, how high, how deep the love is that you have for us, Father, and that we would see that you do far more than we could possibly ask or imagine. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Well, for those who don't know, and I didn't even bring my bulletin up here, if you guys take out your bulletin real quick, you'll see on the front, it should say plain old Peter. And Peter is anything but plain. But about four weeks ago, Mary Beth and I, Mary Beth is one of our AAs, we're talking about Peter and just how powerful this little letter is. And I want to encourage you, read 1 Peter over and over and over again. And we were laughing, Mary Beth and I were laughing, that it's not plain old Peter. Peter is not plain. Now, he's old, but he's not plain. And I want to encourage you to meditate upon, memorize, and just like a dry sponge that's being put in the bucket of water, 
Soak in the words that Holy Spirit speaks to us through 1 Peter. It is a powerful book. We're coming here. The, today's title, I just put the summation of 1 Peter. It's the last chapter. There are so many commandments in this little chapter. I was like, I don't even know what to call it. We'll just, it's just summarize everything. So we're going to hit a whole lot of commandments today. And my prayer for you is as we go over this chapter, that Holy Spirit would speak to you, would encourage you, would convict you, and show you a deeper and newer truth that you might not have seen before today through this chapter here. But before that, I've got a confession to make. How many have ever gotten a speeding ticket? Raise your hand. Oh, awesome. I got one in high school. And last Sunday morning, I got pulled over again. After almost 2,000 miles of driving from here all the way up to Philadelphia and all the way down to Fort Walton, Florida, no tickets. And I like to drive in the gray of the law. And uh, Sunday morning early, got up. We were about two hours away from Fort Walton because after 17 hours, I just couldn't go any further. So we stopped and stayed at some little hotel in Ozark, Alabama. And uh, about 10 minutes into the drive, woo, got pulled over, going 62 and a 35. <laughs> now, uh, it was on a back road, and the speed limit was 55, and all of a sudden it was 35, going into a town of about five inhabitants. And uh, we were going down a hill. And I thought, man, I'm slowing down. I'm good. And the police car came down the other way. And this cop car was built in the 60s. It was one of those old hoopties. And as soon as we passed, he turned around. I thought, man, I'm totally busted. And I, would, and I wasn't going to break going down a hill. But anyway, pulled over. He says, man, where are you going so fast? And he was super nice. But, and I was like, yeah, you got me. And I handed him my driver's license. We couldn't find a registration. It was somewhere in the car. And he's like, why do you look for it? You know, let me go back. And he left. He came back about a minute later. He says, you know, I'm going to do something I rarely do. I'm just going to give you a warning and tell you to go on. He was great. It was awesome. But uh, I just didn't have a real good story to share that connected to the story. So I just wanted to share that confession to you, you know. And, uh, but it's awesome. And I've got another one about the turnpike in New Jersey. So if you ever want to see your pastor lose his salvation, drive with me. When we're on interstates up in, up in the Northeast, Wayne and Jill, I don't know how y'all did it up there. That's, oh, man. Yeah, I think we'll get started. So, but anyway, thanks for praying for us. We had a great time away. Um, as you can see, some of us tan really well, and uh, we just had a great time with family, uh, with friends, seeing our nation's capital, seeing Philadelphia, seeing New York City, and then laying on the beach down in Fort Walton. So thank you for your prayers. We did miss you guys a lot. Not too much, but enough that we decided to come back. No, no we did miss you guys a lot, and uh, we're very blessed to have you guys as our church family. So thanks for your prayers, and we are glad to be back, and it's hard to believe that we're already in August. So let's jump into 1 Peter real quick. 1 Peter chapter 5, and as I said a few minutes ago, there's a lot of different commands in here, and Peter's closing his little letter, his little letter, to a bunch of Christians who are scattered all throughout modern-day Turkey. And as we've seen in the past, we talked a whole lot about hope. And that's one of the big things that Peter talks about is hope. And what is hope? And Ben, if you don't mind putting it up, this is what hope is. And Peter talks all about it. Hope is the confident affirmation that God is what? Faithful. And that he will complete what he has begun. It is the confident expectation of what? Which waits patiently and ardently for God's purposes to be fulfilled. Not our purposes, his purposes. But here is the clutch. It is the expectation and desire filled and anchored with certainty. 
because of who God is and his character. Many times we express hope. I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope Tennessee is good this year. I hope the ice cream is good. I hope this. I hope that. And when we express hope, even when we talk about hope, we're talking, not talking about this hope here or Esperanza Yi, but our hope many times is expressed out of a fear or doubt. But that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is not this wishful thinking based out of fear or worry, but it's based out of who God is and his character. And Peter hits really hard on that all throughout this book. But we've also looked at two, a couple other things too about we've been called from darkness to light. We will suffer for doing good. Peter talks about that all throughout. And Winston preached on it a couple weeks ago. And Peter encourages his writers to stay focused on the Lord Jesus and to walk in humility, hospitality, love, to use our gifts to serve. Those are all the things that we looked at all throughout the first Peter. And today we're coming up to the conclusion here in chapter 5. Here Peter says in verse 1, and we'll read it again, but we'll talk through it. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive unfading, the unfading crown of glory. So Peter right here, and if you remember from chapters 2, 3, and 4, he talked about all of us should submit to governing authorities. He gives commands to slaves, to wives, to husbands, to children. And then he's addressing church leadership here. Elder, what is an elder? Peter himself says that he is a fellow elder, someone who has seen, witnessed, the sufferings of Christ. He's reminding these readers here that he himself, Peter, saw Christ suffer. Remember, Peter was in the courtyard. He saw Jesus arrested in the garden, beat up, spit upon, falsely accused. He saw some of those sufferings. And then Peter, what did he do? Betray and leave. But then after Christ rose from the dead, what did Peter see? The scars. He saw the sufferings. And then he reminds them a little bit later, and also what the glory that's about to be revealed. Peter had that amazing opportunity on the Mount of Transfiguration, weeks before Christ was crucified, when he saw Jesus in all of his glory. And we talked about that months ago when we went through the Gospel of Mark. He was so overwhelmed with fear and trembling and awe that he didn't even know what to say. Except for, hey, we ought to make some tents out here and camp out. He was so overwhelmed by the glory of Jesus. And decades later, later, as he's writing to these dear Christians, he's reminding them, Christ did suffer, but he's also in glory, and he will return, and we will share in his glory. It's not found in this passage here. But all of us who love Jesus, who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, not only have we been adopted into our Father's kingdom as his sons and daughters, but it says that we are co-heirs with Christ. We will reign with Christ. Think about it. We will sit on the throne with Jesus. We will reign with him, not because we're worthy, 
not because we've earned it, but because of his grace. The Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are inviting the bride, us, the church, to be part of their eternal fellowship forever. We don't become God, but we will reign with Christ. Think about that. We could spend eternity just thinking about that. So Peter is reminding his readers here about who he is just as an apostle. But who are these elders? I'll be honest with you, and we're not going to go down a long track of church leadership. But I will say this, elder, overseer. There are two Greek words that the New Testament talks about, presbyteros, episcopos. And I'm pronouncing that in Spanish. But they're the two Greek words that the New Testament uses to refer to elder or overseer. And out of those two words come our words of bishop, pastor, elder, overseer, and priest. Preacher is not one of them. But bishop, pastor, shepherd, elder, and priest are the five English words that we get for this term elder. Who is it? Back in the New Testament, during the time when the New Testament was being written, there were only two official offices of church leadership in the church, elder and deacon. That was it. Our church, the leadership structure, when I mean church, I'm just talking church in general. And Chris made some announcements about some of our leadership today. It's much more complicated. It's one of the main reasons there are so many denominations. The Bible doesn't share a whole lot about the how-tos of church leaders. But it sure talks a whole lot about their character and spiritual maturity. Big time. And there's a lot of ways that leadership can be cut. But look at what Peter says to the church leaders here. Look at what he says. First, he reminds them that he himself is a fellow elder. And then he says in verse 2, shepherd God's flock. Whose flock? God's flock. Shepherd God's flock among you. Not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly. I'll have to be honest with you. I struggle with these verses. I'm one of the elders here. I'm one of the pastors. I'm on staff. I've been a pastor. Whew! Because when I take elder for what it truly is scripturally, it's a spiritual overseer of a group of fellow Christians. And I'll be honest with you. There's times when I serve under compulsion. Got to do it. Don't want to do it. Don't like it. But got to do it. I'm just being honest. But Peter's exhorting the church leaders to serve not under compulsion, but willingly. Because whose flock is it? It's God's flock. It's his sheep. Now, you know why he calls you sheep, right? Everybody clear on that? Because sheep are D-U-M-M. Is that how you spell it? Something like that. And then he says... At the end of verse 2, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly. There's a lot of charlatans that can make a whole lot of money through the church. And Peter's exhorting the elders, don't serve for, for financial gain. Don't use it for financial gain, for any material gain. No, don't. And then he says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. If you don't know how to pray for me, for Chris, for Lauren, 
for Matt, for our deacons. Even though it doesn't say deacon here, I would put them in here. Your life group leader. If you don't know how to pray for your spiritual leaders, pray these three, four verses right here. For our student leaders, for our children leaders, pray that we truly would shepherd God's flock among us, not under compulsion, but willingly and eagerly, not for any financial or personal gain, but that we would truly be an example. I also want to say this, and I felt this in my heart for all week long going over this passage here. If you feel like God has placed a call on your life to serve as a leader in our church, let me or Chris know. God will call some of us out in formal positions as spiritual leaders. And it's the church that affirms that call, but it's the Holy Spirit who gives that call. But the Holy Spirit uses his church to affirm it and to help equip and to train. And then this is my favorite verse out of this in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd comes, when he appears, who's that chief shepherd? It's Jesus. And he's not only the chief shepherd, he is the great shepherd. He is the good shepherd who knows his sheep by name. Jesus knows you by name. He also knows how many hairs on your head you have. He knows your deepest, most intimate thoughts and desires and hurts and pain and suffering and joys. He knows it all because not only is he a shepherd, he's the good and great and chief shepherd. He has shed his blood for you. He is the one who nourishes us, leads us, guides us, exhorts us, encourages us, protects us, and we'll see that here in a few verses. Us as pastors, as ministers, we're just under shepherds. I'm glad Jesus didn't use cows because the bellwether cow, it's the cow that has the big bell that's usually the leader. Whew, I'm glad he didn't call us cows. Now sheep are dumb. But we're to set as shepherds, set as an example to you. And if you see something in my life that's not godly, let me know. Don't hit me with a two-by-four in my face, but let me know. But please take these four verses and pray for us as your ministers that we truly would live this out. Here we go, verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And we've talked a whole lot about humility, submitting to authority, and to be honest, I have a hard time preaching on these verses because when I do, I kind of feel like, you know, do as I say, don't do as I do. But Peter specifically talks to those who are younger. And there's big theological debate. Is it those who are actually younger, like by age younger? Now, I'm 47, so I guess that would apply to anybody who was born from 1972 and beyond. If you're younger than me, then be subject to me. Is that truly what Peter's talking about? In one sense, yes. Because in one sense, those who are younger, rather little kids or teenagers or even young adults, at times being younger, we have the tendency to be arrogant and prideful and know-it-alls. We just do. And if you're a millennial, I'm sorry, because as millennials, you guys get a bad rap all the time. And I apologize. So I'm not going to pick on you as millennials. But there is something to be said. If you are young, are you truly humbling yourself 
and submitting to your leadership, to your church leadership. And that doesn't mean you have to shut your mouth and zip it up and you can never ask questions or complain in a Christian way. It doesn't mean that. And it definitely doesn't mean if you're in an abusive relationship, you have to submit to those who truly are abusing and causing you harm. Because God is a God of justice. And he calls us as his church to fight for justice and to defend the widow and the orphan and the outcast and the broken and the forgotten. We see Jesus do that all the time. And one of the themes here throughout 1 Peter is God will vindicate his people. We live in an evil time. Tim and I were talking about it before Life Group this morning, about the two huge mass shootings that went on yesterday. Horrendous. The loss of life and the suffering that's going on. And it's common, and we should ask, why? Jesus, where are you? What is going on? And one day, he will stand upon this earth And he will bring his righteous judgment and justice. His righteous anger will be poured out upon all evil. He will vindicate his own people. And he will destroy the evil one. And we can hope and even rejoice in that. But going back to subject, those of you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So as a church body, as a congregation, you are commanded to be subject to our church leadership. Now, we do have a voice, as Chris was telling us, about our trustees and FMT and SRT. And you can come to us and ask questions about how we're going. We won't have all the answers, but we'll try. But do we have a heart of surrendering and humbling ourselves? And that's where Peter goes. Look at what he says here in verse 5. In the same way, oops, sorry, at the end of verse 5, what does it say? All of you what? What are we all commanded to do? I'm hearing a lot of mumbling. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Now, I forgot to bring, those who don't know, I'm also an ordained Anglican priest, and I have this awesome, what we call an alb, and I forgot to bring it today, but I'm going to blame it on vacation. And it's this awesome white robe that you get to put on, And then there's this great rope called a cincture that you get to put on. And this white robe represents, and lots of times we'll baptize in these white robes, it's symbolizing Jesus being clothed with Christ. And as an Anglican priest in Mexico, I'd wear this every every Sunday. And it would get real hot, 100 degrees in this bodega with no heat or air. But every Sunday we'd wear a white robe, and we have these special collars that would go on and everything. And it's all symbolic. It says, clothe yourselves with what? With humility. And one of the things I do miss about not being part of the Anglican church is every time I'd put it on, guess what I would think of? Being clothed with Christ. He makes us righteous. He gives us his righteousness. But then also that commandment, we're supposed to clothe ourselves with humility. Now, what does humility mean? What does humility mean? Ben, could you put that up there? Humility. A modest or low view of one's own importance. We're not, and I can never think of the words in English, menospreciar, what does that mean? Because I've said it so many times. 
belittle. It's not belittling yourself. It's not that. If Michael Jordan were to say, or LeBron James, oh, I'm not that good in basketball, that's pride inverted is all that is because they are great in basketball. So it's not belittling yourself. What it is, though, it's a modest or low view of your own importance. Modesty, humbleness, meekness. Meekness is power under control. Jesus was truly meek. Do you remember what he said standing before Pilate when Pilate got so exasperated with him and Jesus was not answering a thing? What did Pilate tell Jesus? He said, don't you know that I have the power to set you free or to execute you? And Jesus just stood there. And what did Jesus say? You would have no power except what was given you from on high. Jesus, the creator of the whole universe, is standing before Barney Fife of the first century. That's an Andy Griffith reference for those who don't know Andy Griffith. And he said, you would have no power unless it was given for you. Jesus had every power just to be like, plan B, Father. And yet in power and yet humility, power under control, meekness and humility. And Jesus is the epitome of humility. He had all the power in the universe and he disrobed himself of his glory, became a man, humbled himself, complete obedience to the Father's will and died on the cross. Humility. And we're commanded to all of us, not just those who are younger, but the elders too, every brother and sister in Christ, we're all to clothe ourselves with humility. Now look at what Peter says at the end of verse 5. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now I've always used this example. Mike, now, yeah, come here, Mike. Can Can I use you for a second? My kids are, I'm into the Avengers too. My kids love the Avengers. And Iron Man, sometimes he'll stand like this and they shoot out these powers, you know, and they're fighting, you know, these lasers. Resist the proud. The Greek, I can't remember what the Greek word is, but it's almost a connotation of God is putting his, his hand on, on our forehead and he's pushing us back. Resisting the proud. Those who are arrogant, those who are prideful, those who are self-centered and always thinking they have a high view of themselves. They think of themselves as more important. Scripture, when God, it says God opposes the proud, it's literally just God is pushing your forehead back, resisting us. Thank you, young man. Appreciate it. He resists the proud, but he gives grace. It's a gift that we do not deserve. God gives grace to those who are humble. And then Peter goes on in verse 6. Humble yourselves. Within three verses, Peter says three times, humble, humble, humble. Humble yourselves, humble yourselves, clothe yourselves in humility, and right before that, be subject. Do you think humility is important for for Peter? Maybe Peter learned by experience after three and a half years of constantly putting his foot in his mouth with Jesus. Maybe Peter learned the night when Jesus was crucified as they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane after the Lord's Supper. 
And it says that Peter was swearing to Jesus, even if I have to die with you. All the other disciples did too, but Peter above, it, above all else. Even if I have to go to death, I will die for you. He was so arrogant, he thought he could do it in his own strength. And he was so humbled. We have a choice. We've been commanded, humble yourselves. If we don't, God will humble us. And then look at what he says here, verse 7. Casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. I was sharing with Christy yesterday, and I'll be honest with you, I get like 70 emails a day. And being on vacation, do the math. So this past week I was kind of cheating a little bit, looking at emails, deleting, answering, deleting, answering. But yesterday I literally spent from about 1 o'clock until about 7 o'clock answering emails yesterday. And as the day went on, my stress started going, oh, feeling very uncomfortable about this morning and this week and everything that's going on and all the decisions and all this stuff. And the Lord kept speaking to me about this verse here, cast all your cares. And there was no big issue, really. I mean, there were some big issues, but there was, nothing was on fire. And I found myself getting all worked up. And the reality is when we get anxious, when we walk and anxiety and anxiousness, it's a form of pride because we're not humbling ourselves to trust the Lord and his sovereignty. And that's why Peter here, after three verses of subject yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself, clothe yourself, and he says, casting all your cares. Have you ever carried a heavy load, like maybe coming back from the grocery and you got all these bags and you're just like, Boo! Or you have a heavy backpack and you finally get to a place and you just kind of, that's the reference it is, casting. It's like putting a heavy load on the back of a donkey or laying down your burdens onto a bench. And Peter is encouraging us, cast all of your cares upon who? Upon the Lord. Why? Because he, he cares for us. He truly is the chief and good shepherd. And then verse 8 and 9, spiritual warfare. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. What does God call us? Huh? We're sheep. A sheep fighting a lion? Mm, who's going to win that? And a few weeks ago, I challenged us, asking, do you realize that we are all at war? We have an enemy who hates us. Peter talks about in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, here in chapter 5. Be alert, be firm. Be alert, be sober-minded. Sober-minded. Have you ever seen anybody that's been totally plum drunk? So drunk that they can't control their speech, their bowel movements, and their walk? For 20 years, every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night, I saw it in Mexico. We lived 100 yards from a church building. And I would bet you dollars to donuts, 90% of the time, I would pass a man passed out, laid out on the street at 7.30 in the morning as I walked to church Sunday morning. No control. The complete opposite 
of what Peter's commanding us here. Paul tells us not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with Holy Spirit. And the same way that alcohol can consume people, we're to be consumed by Holy Spirit. If we're consumed by Holy Spirit, we will be sober-minded. We will be alert because we do have an enemy that wants to destroy us completely. He is like a roaring lion, but he is no match for the Lion of Judah. He is no match for the King of Kings. And Scripture says that Jesus has crushed his head. And that same Jesus is our chief shepherd who guides us and leads us because look at what we're commanded in verse 9. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith knowing that the same kind of sufferings that we experience, all of our fellow brothers and sisters are suffering. I love this verse because this is the anti-victim verse. The sufferings that you experience Every other believer is experiencing those types of sufferings. None of us has the ability nor the right to say, well, what I'm dealing with is way beyond what you can understand. We all are tempted. We all go through trials. All of us suffer. And we cannot use our own personal sufferings as an excuse to not stand firm to not be alert, and to not walk in power of Holy Spirit. The only person who got a raw deal, the only human who got a truly raw deal was the Lord Jesus. The only one who never sinned was cast upon that cross. And how can we stand before Jesus, imagining him on the cross, pointing our finger at him, telling him that life isn't fair for what we go through? Not only was he falsely accused and crucified, but scripture says he took the world's sin upon his shoulders and paid the penalty for every sin and every injustice and every evil that has ever happened on this planet. And he was the only innocent human that's ever lived. So we need to remember as we go through suffering that our brothers and sisters go through suffering as well. This should encourage us and help us realize, you know what? I don't have the worst deal of the others go through the same thing. Time is almost up. My favorite verse of the chapter. The God of all, and this is important because the cell phone's going off. The God of all grace. How much grace? All grace. Who called you? God has called you to be his son, to be his daughter. He's chosen you. Chapter 2 of Peter talks all about that. You who were once in darkness are now in light because he has called you. He has called you. He has chosen you. You are precious in his sight. He's the God of all grace. What will he do? He himself will restore us. He will establish us. He will strengthen us. He will support us after we have suffered a little while. If you have fallen away from the Lord, he will restore you. If you need encouragement, he will encourage you. If you need comfort, he will comfort you. If you are weak, 
You keep falling into temptation. He will strengthen you. He will establish you. It's him. It's not you. It's not your own strength. I heard a quote the other day. If you try to pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps, yeah, what do you get? Broken bootstraps. He is the one who lifts us up because he is the chief shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And he is the one that lifts us up. We are called to do what? Clothe ourselves in humility. Stand firm in him. Follow him as our chief shepherd. He is the one who does it. Why? Because verse 11, to him be the glory forever and ever, the dominion forever. It's all about his glory. And then these last few verses, they're basically just greetings. Silvanus is also Silas, one of Paul's workers. There was this incredible fellowship that these men and women had together. He's a faithful brother. He's the one who actually delivered this letter to the Christians in, in, in Turkey. In verse 13, Peter refers to Babylon. That's the city of Rome back then. They called Rome Babylon. Peter refers to Mark, and if you remember, we talked a lot about Mark in the spring. Mark abandoned Peter and Barnabas. But who God established and strengthened and restored Mark. Mark became one of Peter's associates and helped Peter plant lots of churches and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And then here's one. I always wondered why we don't do this. Greet one another with a kiss of love. A holy kiss. Aren't we literalists? Aren't we supposed to do what the Bible says? I'm being funny. Okay. To close, I've got some questions to ask. Here's the first one. Ben, if you could put it up. It's the last slide. How has Jesus been changing you during these weeks of First Peter? If you're here for the first time, all right, this be this chapter. But as we've gone through First Peter, how has Jesus been speaking and changing you in this book. The second one. How is the Lord speaking to you this morning with this text? How has he spoken to you today? What is it that you didn't know that you know now? What is it that you're being convicted of or encouraged about? How is he speaking to you today, this morning? Here's the third one. Who in your life, sorry, it's a typo, it's my bad, my bad. Who in your life needs to hear this message and what are you going to do about it? All of us have been called, we're all disciples. If we love Jesus, we're a disciple of Jesus. And we've been called to make disciples. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Who in your life needs to hear this message of 1 Peter? And what are you going to do about it? I want to invite everybody to please stand. We're going to close in prayer. We'll close with the song after we pray. But if God has been speaking to you this morning, members of our prayer team will be over here to your right where it says next steps. We would love to pray with you if you have questions about the sermon, about this morning. If you've drifted from the Lord or if you've never given your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, or maybe you're dealing with something and you're struggling just to clothe yourself with humility, Maybe you haven't humbled yourself and you're carrying all these anxieties and fears and worries and you haven't turned them over to the Lord. Members of our prayer team would love to pray with you. So let's close in prayer. Father, we want to thank you so much for this incredible day. 
Jesus, you are awesome, and we love you because you are the chief shepherd. Father, thank you so much for Peter. He's not plain, but he's definitely old. But we thank you for your words that you spoke through him to us. Your words, Holy Spirit, that are living, that are active. They're like fire. So Holy Spirit, I pray now that you would speak to us and minister to us as we clothe, close in worship and in prayer. Father, have your way amongst us that we would humble ourselves, that we would stand firm, that we would resist the evil one. Father, that we would truly follow you, Jesus, as our great, good, and chief shepherd. 